Hello and welcome to this episode of Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nicoletti, and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Glad to be back. Yes, we are on to uh, part two of our mini-series, A Nephite's Commandments to His Three Sons by B.H. Roberts. Again, this originally appeared in the Improvement Era in 1900, and uh, we went through part one last week, which was uh, Alma's counsel to his son Helaman, the next record keeper of the record, but uh, of the gold plates, or not the gold plates, the plates of Nephi. Plates of Nephi, yeah. And um, now we're going to be talking about part two, which was to Shiblon. Mm-hmm. I think Shiblon's an overlooked figure. Absolutely, he yeah. is. Very righteous. Um, B.H. Roberts refers to him as a salt of the earth type of man uh, in this article, but we usually... We think about Helaman, we think about Corian. We don't think about Shiblon so much. It's middle child problems, the whole thing. Um, <laughs> well, I think part of that too is that Helaman was known because partially because he was the record keeper, right? Mm-hmm. And that was that's who tells the, the stories, prophet. you know, yeah. and he became the prophet and things like that. But Shiblon was definitely uh, up there and he was compared to in this article and other by, by other people, right? You just mentioned a list of names yeah, before, before we started. Yeah, we started recording, let me try and scroll. Get over to that part. He says, uh, such youth make the Samuels, Nathaniels, the Johns, and the Nephi's. And coming to modern days, the Hiram's and Don Carlos Smith, who is another brother we usually forget about. Yeah. And the Edward Partridges, which is a very noble comparison. He's salt of the earth. These are these are great men. Yeah. And I like that he refers to them in, in one part as the youth, because again, he's trying to write this to the youth. Yeah. He's trying to remind the youth that there is value in these these stories that they can draw from. And I think that's uh, perhaps sometimes a challenge with these stories because they lived so long ago. It's a different world, different society. But And we mythologize. We've been, we talked about this before yeah. on the podcast. We have a problem with mythologizing our scriptural figures, and we forget that they were human. Yeah. And they had real struggles and real problems. Here was uh, a quote from the article that I thought was worth discussing. Uh, He says, No two men are alike. In all the millions of men who have inhabited the earth, no one of them has been a duplicate of another. Infinite variety exists among men as among blades of grass and the leaves of trees. Yet leaves of trees have much in common. So too have blades of grass, and so too have men. There seems to be an infinite sameness on the one hand, as there is an infinite variety on the other. And in that sameness, infinite degree. And I have thought, okay, so he's saying we're all very different. We're all very unique. Shiblon is unique. Yet, see yourself in this because there's also much that we share. Yeah. And uh, that kind of sets the stage for much of what he tries to do with Shiblon because he is a good guy. I mean, by all accounts, he seems to be keeping the rules and doing things that would make his father proud of him. Mm-hmm. He does. His lessons to Shiblon are interesting. Uh, the two that I get out of it are to beware of pride and to not give up the fight as you get older. He goes, he worries about men who become weary in well-doing and at the end of their lives, you know, just give up. Go, yeah. oh, I've done enough. He says here, but do good men need commandments? Do shiblons require instructions, admonitions, and warnings? Ah, yes, and never yet was man so righteous that he did not need warning. That is good. And, uh, I mean, there, there again is B.H. Roberts kind of trying to put into context here this idea of there's lessons that we can learn from any one of these people. And in this particular case, as you've talked about, even if you're doing everything else right, you can eventually have a problem with pride. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it occurred to me just now as we were going through this, 
you know, who's putting together this record? Mormon is doing this. And there's some very interesting- what's he seeing around him? Yeah. And there's also some very interesting work that's been done uh, by Joseph Spencer um, on this one in a recent article, Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, um, pointing out that the, I'm just remembering this now, that Mormon, when he organized the record, the three cities that Alma preaches repentance to, um, and the three sons that Alma the Younger teaches at the end, the the lessons resonate with different cities. Okay. And so one city doesn't need as much repentance. One city does, and then, you know, Land of the Zormites has a lot of issues. (laughs) Corianton has a lot of issues, ironically, in the Land of the Zormites. Is he implying that these were, that's where they lived? I, I I think he's actually implying a parallelistic pattern. Okay. Which is interesting. Maybe we can maybe we can link to it in the article. Okay. I don't know if it's still behind a paywall or yeah. not. So last thing that we kind of wanted to talk about was this very interesting set of words that you and I both had to look up. Yes. Uh, the quote in its context is this. Men of this type, not infrequently, weary in well-doing, and after maintaining their righteousness through the morning hours of life, at last give way to temptation and downward go, like Lawine loosened from the mountain's belt. Yep. So, and in the actual uh, article, that that's actually indented that yeah. little phrase as a, as a poetic. He's clearly quoting something. I'm not sure what he's quoting. He's actually. I looked it up. He's quoting. Oh, wow. He's quoting Lord Byron. Oh, a okay. poem of Lord Byron of all things, which I thought was rather interesting. Ironic, yeah. And uh, Good in, in Byron's. <laughs> so <laughs> he, yeah, Byron's a little bit more of the Corianton. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, like the the word was essentially avalanche. Is okay. how it should be tra- translated. Lawine was meant to be a translation for for avalanche. So, like an avalanche loosened from the mountain's belt. So when you go, you go quickly. Well, and and the righteous can fall at any point, even though they've mm-hmm. been seemingly stable, firm. That the fall could be great, mm-hmm. and so and take a lot of people down with it. Exactly, and I think that there is some undertone to Helaman or Alma's counsel to to Shiblon of. You are a great man with a lot of influence. You can take a lot of people down, which kind of is the irony here too, right? Because that's he knows that. Alma the Younger was that. And I think uh-huh. he's warning Shiblon to be careful to not become what he was. That's very true. Roberts is good at pointing out these, these themes. Yeah. So we will now move on to a reading of the article. This is the counsel given by Alma to his son Shiblon. Again, this is B.H. Roberts in the Improvement Era. Enjoy. A Nephite's Commandments to His Three Sons by B.H. Roberts Part 2. Shiblon No two men are alike. In all the millions of men who have inhabited the earth, no one of them has been a duplicate of another. Infinite variety exists among men, as among blades of grass and the leaves of trees. Yet leaves of trees have much in common, so too have blades of grass, and so too have men. There seems to be an infinite sameness on the one hand, as there is an infinite variety on the other, and in that sameness, infinite degree. It is true also that this infinity of variety extends to the inwardness of man, as well as to his outwardness, to inward temperament and mind, as to outward form and semblance. A good thing to remember, since it may help us to be more patient with each other in seeking that unity of faith and feeling that bespeaks the harmony which comes from a comprehension of the truth, and which at the same time may make us one and will also make us free. 
No two men are alike, but perhaps so far as two men may be alike in temperament, Helaman and Shiblon, the sons of the younger Alma, were alike. Both were steady, plodding, modest, patient, righteous men. Neither of them could have enacted the part of the prodigal son. You could never think of either of them spending an inheritance in riotous living and afterwards feeding on husks with swine. Theirs were the dispositions that would lead them to stay at home with the father, though one could never think of them as complaining at a feast being given to the prodigal when he returned from his wanderings and folly to his father's house. Blessed indeed are those whose blood and judgment are so well commingled. These men being much alike, it is not to be matter for wonder that the commandments of their father Alma were similar in each case, except that as upon the elder son was to devolve the future responsibility of the presidency of the church and charge of the sacred records. The instructions to him were more elaborate than to Shiblon. In his commandments to Shiblon, however, Alma began at the same point at which he commenced his instructions to Helaman. My son, give ear to my words, inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land, and inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments of God, ye shall be cast off from his presence. And what better beginning can be made than this? In any kind of case, either in admonishing a good man to persevere in well-doing, warning a wicked man of the future, or persuading a sinner to turn from the evil and live in the pleasant pastures of righteousness. The remarks imply faith in God, and faith in God and in the results growing out of obedience or disobedience to Him must ever be the foundation of all righteousness, the starting point of all moral reforms, the proper beginning of all admonitions and all preachments. Hence, Alma, the servant of God, skillful in ministering the word, began with that statement of fundamental law. And now more especially as to this young man Shiblon, what of him? Such as he are the joy of parents. From his youth he had served God, steady, faithful, earnest. No vanity, no folly had marred his career. He was doubtless such a son as every mother would wish her son to be, and that every father would point to as an example for his own son to follow. Such youths make the Samuels, Nathaniels, the Johns, the Nephis, and coming to modern days, the Hirams and Don Carlos Smiths, the Edward Partridges, Israelites indeed, in whom is no guile. These be the righteous ones, whose prayers avail much, who move the powers of heaven to action for themselves and for their friends, because the powers of heaven are controlled and handled upon the principles of righteousness, and only upon the principles of righteousness, and by righteous men. These are the salt of the earth, and render, in a quiet way, more service to mankind than the world takes note of. Blessed be the righteous men, good men. But do good men need commandments? Do shiblons require instructions, admonitions, warnings? Ah, yes, and never yet was man so righteous that he did not need warning. Sometimes they stand most in need of it. They are as those possessing rich treasures. They may lose them. Their treasure may be stolen. Hence the need of more care. For when much is possessed, much may be lost. And when a righteous man forsaketh his righteousness, how great indeed is the loss, not only to him, but to the world. And moreover, and strange as it may seem, even goodness hath its vices, and they are too among the worst of vices. 
self-righteousness, begetting the air-sniffing, I am holier than thou, mean, and I thank thee that I am not as this publican quality. This and that which is akin to it, the spirit of narrowness, of intolerance, which so frequently attends on goodness until sweet charity and broad human sympathies are shut out of its associations. These are the voices of goodness. These, and one other danger, stood in the way of Shiblon. That other was the danger which early piety stands in of lapsing ire, the close of a life's work. Men of this type, not infrequently, weary in well-doing, and after maintaining the righteousness though the morning hours of life, at least give way to temptation and downward go, like lawwine loosened from the mountain's belt. Shiblon had been steady and faithful through the early years of his life. He had been diligent and patient and long-suffering throughout the trying mission of the Zoramites. And though he was stoned and put in bonds for the word's sake, still he murmured not, but endured all patiently, for God was with him. Yet stood he in the danger I have remarked, a lapse of his early righteousness, else why this admonition of the old Nephi prophet, his father Alma? For as you have commenced in your youth to look to the Lord your God, even so I hope that you will continue in keeping his commandments, for blessed is he that endureth to the end. That he stood in danger of pride, which comes from a consciousness of personal goodness, in danger of the bigotry, intolerance, and overbearing spirit that are so frequently the defects of consciously good people, let the further admonition of Alma witness. See that ye are not lifted up unto pride. See that ye do not boast in your own wisdom, nor of your much strength. Use boldness, but not overbearance. And also see that ye bridle your passions, that ye may be filled with love. See that ye refrain from idleness. Do not pray as the Zoramites do, for ye have seen that they pray to be heard of men, and to be praised for their wisdom. Do not say, O God, I thank thee that we are better than our brethren, but rather say, O Lord, forgive me my unworthiness, and remember my brethren in mercy. Yea, acknowledge your own unworthiness before God at all times. Now go, my son, and teach the word unto this people. Be sober, my son, farewell. I depend upon this passage bearing me out in what I have written concerning the dangers in which conscious goodness stands. There is still more to be learned in the commandments of Alma to Shiblon, something which discloses the strength of the righteous, the source of their power, a source, alas, too frequently overlooked by them, by all of us, in fact, by those of us who still hunger and thirst after righteousness, as well as those who have attained unto it. What I mean is disclosed in these words of Alma. I know thou wast in bonds, yea, I also knew that thou wast stoned for the word's sake, and that thou didst bear all things with patience, because the Lord was with thee. And now, my son Shiblon, I would that ye should remember that inasmuch as ye shall put your trust in God, even so much ye shall be delivered out of your trials, and your troubles, and your afflictions, and ye shall be lifted up at the last day. And again, in Alma's own experience, Now, my son, I would not that ye should think that I know these things of myself, but it is the Spirit of God which is in me, which maketh these things known unto me. For it I had not been born of God, I should not have known these things. And now, my son, I have told you this, that ye may learn wisdom, 
that ye may learn of me that there is no other way or means whereby man can be saved, only in and through Christ. Behold, he is the life and the light of the world. Behold, he is the word of truth and righteousness. And here is the strength of the righteousness. It is of God. It is of his grace and his mercy. It comes of being born of God. Man is not sufficient to the attainment of righteousness by his own unaided power. It is vain for philosophers to say to us, "'Tis in ourselves that we are thus or thus. Our bodies are gardens to which our wills are the gardeners, so that if we will plant nettles or sow lettuce, set hyssop and weed up time. Why the power and corrigible authority of this lies in our wills? The righteous man knows better. He has won his fight for the triumph of goodness in his own soul by the grace of God, by the help of God, and not alone. True, there must be a conjunction of the will of man with the grace of God. There must be strivings for the right and resistance of evil. There must be the hungering and thirsting after righteousness, an exercise of man's free agency as to which he will choose, the good or the evil. But the agency used, and the choice being made to attain to the heights of godly righteousness, there must be the help of God, the grace of God, the power of God. And this, as I read the words of Alma, is what the Nephite father would have his son recognize, the necessity for trust in God, the necessity of dependence on the grace of God. And this I understand to be the spirit of the teaching of the Book of Mormon. I give unto men weaknesses, that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men that will humble themselves before me. For if they will humble themselves before me, and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Behold, I will show unto the Gentiles their weakness, and will show unto them that faith, hope, and charity bringeth unto me the fountain of all righteousness. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rare Possessions Podcast by Book of Mormon Central. Join us next week for part three of A Nephite's Commandments to His Three Sons, Corianton. For more information on this item, as well as any of the vast items located in the archives of Book of Mormon Central, visit archive.bookofmormoncentral.org. Archive.bookofmormoncentral.org